Welcome to the Overflow Podcast. We pray you are encouraged by this message. For more info, notes, or other messages, visit our website at overflowdfw.com. As you can tell, I'm not as tall as the normal guy that's up here, but uh, I'm Pastor Emlyn here, and uh, you know, it's my opportunity to come and share with you guys. This is maybe my favorite, favorite part of being here at Overflow Church is just getting the opportunity to share the word with you. I really just hope that, you know, what I have to say today, you know, really blesses you and and encourages you in your walk with the Lord. So today I want to start off by telling you about the worst job that I've ever had. Who in here has had a honey-baked ham in your life? All right. So... I'm sorry, okay, (laughs) but honey-baked ham on any normal day maybe has three employees, but three times a year, honey-baked ham is a production machine, Easter, Thanksgiving, and Christmas. They go from three employees to like 40 employees at that point in time, so when I was in Teen Challenge, you know, we're... We're just doing whatever job comes along. They come and they hire us to come in and produce hams for Easter, Christmas, and Thanksgiving. So when I was at Honey Baked Ham, my one job there was to open the package of the ham and get it out and then get it there ready for the guy to put it on the spiral slicer. Right? That's, it was disgusting, okay? I mean, like, there's ham juice everywhere. Those things are not dry. Uh, so I had my job. You had the guy that all he did was put hams on a slicer and slice them. Then you had the guy that all he did was take the ham from here and put it over here for the guy with the blowtorch to make the lava of brown sugar on top of it. Then you had the guy with the fireproof neoprene gloves that would take that lava-soaked ham over to here to the guy that would wrap it up. You know, we would be there and they'd be like, oh, 10 more boxes, 20 more boxes, 30 more boxes. They did that for eight hours, you know, and I would work there for maybe 12, 13, 14 hours and I would go home and I would be head to toe ham. I mean, I smelled like a honey baked ham. My drawers were soaked all the way through. I mean, it was awful, horrible. And then you get like five hours of sleep and have to go back the next day. I had one job in this production line. That was to open these bags. That's all I did. But had I not been there to do that, production would have stopped. So I want to talk to you today about a man who had one job and how you benefited from that man's one job. This is a story that we hear about a lot in children's church and children's books. You know, they've made movies about it, but I really haven't heard it preached too much in adult church. I'm talking about Noah and his ark. And now this isn't just a story about the world's first zoo. It's a story about a man who had to do something incredible so that you and I could be here. But before that, I want to kind of look at some other guys that had one job, but maybe didn't do it so well. Can you throw up that first picture? I mean, come on. It, 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 how do you not put it right back where it needs to go? Go to the next one. Wow, this gate is really protecting wherever it's supposed to be protecting. Can you go to the next one? Oh, yeah. Take a right turn right into the curb there. <laughs> 
So those guys may not have done their job so well, but we're going to talk about a man who did his job very well. We're going to talk about Noah. And just to give you some background, when God came to Noah and said, I want you to build this ark, Noah was 500 years old, 500 years old. Now, I would venture to guess that most everyone in here is less than 50. You're, most of us are less than a tenth of, of where he, how old he was when God said, I want you to do something incredible. You're never too old, never too old to do the work of God. You're never too young to do the work of God. You're never too old. The next thing is that the world that Noah lived in was awful. The Bible said that it was wicked, corrupt, and the thoughts and hearts of men were on evil continually. It was so bad that God said, you know what? We just need to do a do-over, you know? We just need to hit the reset button on the world. I can't imagine what living in a world like that was like. You know, we think our world's terrible, but it's not that terrible. And finally, the Bible says that Noah walked with God. Noah walked with God. What does that mean? What does it mean to walk with God? Man, that means the relationship that Noah and God had must have been strong. You know, this is before he ever put a nail into a board, it says that he walked with God. I wish that Lord would say that I walked with him. So God decided to wipe all these men from the face of the earth. And Genesis 6, chapter 7 says, The Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. So here's something that someone might say. How can you reconcile your theology of a good God. I mean, we were just singing this morning, you are good, you are good. How can you reconcile your theology of a God that would destroy all those people? Well, let me tell you, there is always an opportunity for man to repent. There is always an opportunity for man to repent. These men were wicked and evil, and this was before the Mosaic law. They weren't wicked and evil because they ate shrimp and wore polyester. They were wicked and evil because the thoughts and intentions of their heart were evil. They had an opportunity to repent. Jesus talks about this in Matthew seven thirteen and 14. He says, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Walk the narrow road. Walk the narrow road. It's not hard. What the walking the narrow road is, is putting your faith in Jesus. Putting your faith in Jesus. That man had an opportunity to repent. God will always give you an opportunity. Please take it. Please take it. So, God gave Noah an assignment. God comes and sees the world so bad, it says, we need to start over. I'm going to destroy everything, and I'm going to start over. But I can't wipe out everything. I need someone to carry on my work. So he comes to Noah, and he said, Noah says in Genesis chapter 6, it says, So make yourself an ark of cypress wood. Make rooms in it and coat it with pitch inside out. Pitch is like tar. Make it waterproof. This is how you are to build it. The ark is to be 300 cubits long, 50 cubits wide, and 30 cubits high. A cubit 
is the average length from your fingertips to your elbow. So God said, make it 300 forearms long, 50 forearms tall, and 30 forearms wide. Make a roof for it, leaving below the roof an opening of one cubit high all around. Put a door in the side of the ark and make lower, up middle, and upper decks. So God came to Noah and said, you got a job. It's not going to be easy, but you got to do it. You got to do it. Let me tell you, everyone here, you have a job. It's not going to be easy, but it's necessary. So what is the work of God, right? What is the work of God? I think that we think that that's so mysterious, so unknown. I don't know what God's will for my life is. I just don't, I can't, I, I can't figure it out. Well, let me tell you something. The work of God begins with your family. The work of God begins with your family. And when we're talking about the work of God, we're not talking about what you have to do to be saved. Let me tell you something. Being saved comes from one place, faith in Jesus. It says that righteousness comes through faith and faith alone so that no man can burst, boast. There's no, there's no work that you have to do to receive Jesus. All you have to say is, Jesus, I'm a sinner and I need you. Come into my heart. That is the only work that you have to do. But although we might be saved by faith, not by works, we are saved for works. We're saved for something. Trust me, you have a job to do. And it starts with your family. God told Noah in Genesis 6, 18, he says, I will establish my covenant with you and you will enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. The work that Noah was doing was first to save his family. First to save his family. So what does your work look like? What does your work look like? I can tell you something is that it's not as mysterious as you might think it is. For husbands and wives, the work of God in your life is to love each other and build each other up. That's where the work of God starts. For, for parents, the work of God in your life is to teach your children in the way that they should go so when they grow old, they won't depart from it. For young men and women, the work of God starts in your life by keeping yourself pure for your future spouse, for your future children. It says in Psalms 199 verse 9, how can a young person stay on the path of purity? By living according to your word. The work of God starts at home. Now you say, that's not glamorous. That's not exciting, you know, I'm, I'm called to nations, you know. I, I want to be the next Billy Graham. That's great. That's great. But I can guarantee you the work of Billy Graham started in his house. So I have been married now for a little over two years, happily married. And, you know, I get my wife flowers very little. I mean, I, I'm really and truly, it's not a lot. So... Here you go, baby. Thank you so much. Thank you. <laughs> so that was a good thank you, right? It was a good thank you. You know, I appreciate her saying thank you. But the best thank yous are the ones that say, 
Thank you for going to work every day to provide for us. Thank you for working hard. Thank you for going to work for a 10-hour day and coming home and listening to me and giving me your attention. I know you're tired, but thank you for that. Those are the best thank yous. Those are the best thank yous. Let me tell you something. The Lord is saying thank you for being a good husband. Thank you for being a good wife. Thank you for being a good parent. Thank you for keeping yourself pure. The Lord is saying thank you. Thank you. It doesn't have to be grand. It doesn't have to be you going and laying hands on people. It doesn't have to be, you know, you evangelizing and seeing people saved. The work of God just begins with the people that you're closest to. Now, it begins there, but it doesn't end there. The work of God also looks like serving people. So, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, he says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. And then it says, uh, then it talks about Jesus and it says, Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and become the ransom for many. Paul is saying for us to follow that example, to serve other people. The work of God is interpersonal relationships. That's the work of God. So I listen to Focus on the Family almost every day. If you've never heard of Focus on the Family, it's an incredibly boring podcast or a radio program. Sometimes it's not, but most of the time it is. But I've been doing it for so long now, it's just kind of part of my routine. I listen to it every day. And they're always on there trying to encourage people, bringing guests on. And they had a guest on a few weeks ago who was before now she's a Christian speaker, Christian author, Christian teacher, but before that she was a lesbian atheist college professor. And she said the way she came to faith was not some evangelistic man coming in and preaching, but rather some people that invited her over for, for dinner in their home. And they didn't just do it one time, they did it once a week for two years. When, they, when she was there, they didn't say, you need to repent and be baptized in the Holy Spirit. They just said, what do you want out of life? What are your dreams? What are your goals? How was your week? All they did was open up their home and loved on her. And that, she said, after two years, that is what brought me to Jesus. The work of God looks like interpersonal relationships. People can get saved by a pastor, by a preacher, but they're going to stay in God's, in God's graces by the people that are around them. Let me ask you something. Do you know the names of your neighbors? I know across, across the way, across the way, I got Mayor Joe. Next door, I got Terry and Jerry. That's not his name, but I'm just assuming that it rhymes with his wife's name. Uh, next door, I got the, got the camper people. I don't know. I mean, I, I think his name's Mike. I, I'm just pulling that out of my back pocket. <laughs> the closer we get, the closer our homes get to each other, the farther apart our lives become. The work of God looks like interpersonal relationships. Could you imagine if we all just invited our neighbors over for dinner and just said, hey, who are you? Where are you from? And then when they ask you, well, we're, we're believers in Jesus. We love Jesus and we love people and we just wanted to love on you. Can you imagine the gospel spreading like that? That sounds like revival to me.
you know, I, here's my challenge to you. Take somebody to lunch that you don't know, okay? Take them to lunch that you don't know and pay for it, all right? So Charlotte and I, we've taken many people out to lunch. You know, it's kind of like, you know, our jobs as pastors here, you know, we, we, we enjoy doing it too. We've gone to lunch with some people that we had nothing in common with, right? And what did that cost us? <laughs> it cost us an hour of our time and a little bit of money. But we've also gone out to lunch with some people that we really, really connected with and have brought some really great friendships through that just because we just said, hey, you got plans? What's going on? You want to go out to lunch? My best friends, uh, some of you might know them. They're pastor, they, were, they used to be pastors here, Pastor Jen and Pastor Dalton. They moved up to, um, you know, to the Great White North. I don't, I don't rightly know where they're living now. It's, for, it's too far away, if you ask me. But uh, I became best friends with them because they invited me over to their house for dinner. And I can tell you exactly what we ate. We had some foiled chicken that was bland. And then we... Uh, and then we played Just Dance on the Wii, right? And that night developed a friendship that still persists to this day. They've been moved away for two years now. Has it been that long? It's been a long time. And it still persists to that day, our friendship, because they invited me over. Because they invited me over. And let me tell you, they're kind of awkward, so it wasn't really a... <laughs> no, we love them. We love them so much. So, invite someone over. Be that inviting person. It's not going to cost you that much. It's not going to cost you that much. But you can imagine the fruit that can come out of those kind of relationships. So, it starts with your family, but it doesn't end with your family. But here's the next thing that we can learn from Noah's life, is do not get distracted by the wicked. Now, the story in the Bible doesn't expressly state what, what Noah went through to see that ark built, but you can imagine in a world that the Bible says was continuously evil because the thoughts and the hearts of mind were on, continuously on evil. You can imagine what he went through to say, God told me to build a boat, y'all. God told me to build a boat. I know there's not a lake around here. I don't know if that's true, but I know that this is kind of weird, but God told me to. Can you imagine what people said about him? Can you imagine what the challenges that he faced from the people around him? There are always going to be people who disagree with you, disagree with you and your way of life. You can't allow that to derail you from the work of God. So I talk about a lot of things from Teen Challenge. Here's another Teen Challenge story. When I was in Teen Challenge, you know, it's a drug and alcohol rehab for a year. You know, it, it really was pivotal in my life. But at one point in time, we had this thing called the Bike-a-thon, where if you raised enough money, you could bike from the middle of the state all the way down south to the beach. And then we had two days at the beach. Uh, so I raised my money. I was there at the starting line. I rode my bike for about 10 minutes, and I threw it on the trailer, and I said, I'm driving. <laughs> So I had the drive-a-thon. But when we got down to the beach, there were all kinds of shenanigans happening. I mean, we didn't really have chaperones in our room. You know, we were kind of governing ourselves. And so you can imagine what people were trying to do at the beach. But not me. I had my mind on the work of the Lord. I wasn't, 
I wouldn't even let them, you know, come into my room with that stuff. I wasn't going to have anything to do with it. Let me tell you, nobody hung out with me while I was at the beach. On the way home, people didn't want to talk to me because I stood up for what I knew was right. I was not popular. And you know what? I didn't care. Because I knew what I wanted out of life. I wanted what God had for me. Not what these people thought about me. Not what they said about me. And you know what? It protected me. Because when I came back and they started investigating all the shenanigans that went on, they came sending people home, sending people back to jail. They came and they asked people about me. They go, oh no, he didn't do anything. He wouldn't even let us watch an R-rated movie in our room. That's right. (laughs) What people say or think about you does not determine how successful you are. What determines how successful you are is your obedience to what God has told you what to do. That's success. That's success. Success is obedience. So, it starts at home. Don't get distracted. And next is you got to complete the task at hand. You got to finish what God has told you to do. Can we throw up that picture? So, these crazy people in Kentucky decided to build a life-size replica of the ark, all right? Uh, I don't know if you can really see them, but down here in the bottom corner, this dude in the orange vest, that's a person, all right? This is a replica according to the specifications in the Bible. It's 300 forearms long. So can you go to the next, next picture? This is what it looks like completed. It's there. It's a museum. It took them two years to build with modern equipment. And they're saying that the people that built this estimate that it took Noah 55 to 60 years. Most of us won't work for 55 years. (laughs) All right? I mean, my retirement fund is not looking great, but I don't, I mean, I don't want to be working for 55 years. You can guarantee you that. That's an insurmountable task. That's something that's so great. Can you imagine? But God gave no omission. He had to finish. There was no opportunity for failure. He had to finish. The world was dependent. You and I were dependent upon Noah's mission being completed. Well, you have a mission. There are people that are dependent upon you completing your mission. So what are some obstacles that can come in the way of us completing our mission? Well, I think the first obstacle is not seeing results. Not seeing results. You know, people say don't despise small starts. I say don't be impressed by rapid results. Anything significant takes time, right? They say Rome wasn't built in a day, but you know what? It was built over hundreds of years, and it's still standing right now. I want significance. I want something that lasts. Hmm. Don't be discouraged when you're not seeing the results that you want to see. Trust me. Results are there. Results are there. So the next thing, the next obstacle to completing your mission might be getting your feelings hurt. We live in a culture that says, if you're not making me feel good, then I'm just going to go somewhere that, where people do make me feel good, all right? So sometimes that not making you feel good is the Lord developing character in your heart. 
you know? Don't leave the church because the pastor said something that you didn't sit well with you. That's God developing inside of you something. So at my job, I'm a manager at, at, a, at, a, at a place, and my main job is to train and coach people. That is my main job. And when I bring people in for these coaching sessions, they love it when I tell them how, the, all the great things that you're doing. Oh, you're so good. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah, you know. But when, when I say, but what I want you to do in this area is this, then they kind of shrink up. Mm-hmm. They, or they get defensive. Well, I do that because, look, I'm only trying to make you better at your job. I'm only trying to benefit you. And in some case, I'm only trying to keep you from getting fired. All right? But you would be amazed at how unreceptive people are. You know, Paul says in Romans 5, he says, and not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. Glory in that I don't feel good feeling because that is God developing in you the ability to complete your task. And finally, the last obstacle that we see for completing the task is constantly looking for a new assignment. Constantly looking for a new assignment. Average person will stay at a job for three to five years and then move on. But let me tell you about these missionaries back in the 1700s called the Moravians. These missionaries would get on a boat going to somewhere and would bring a casket because they say, wherever I'm going to go, I'm going to die there. I'm going to give my life for those people there. Oh, Lord, if we could just bring caskets to where the Lord has placed us. If we could just bring caskets to where the Lord has placed us. Be committed to where God has placed you. He didn't have placed you there on accident. He placed you there on a reason, you know? He placed you there for a reason. I attribute so much of my success in my Christian life of just being too stupid to go anywhere else, right? So when I was out there ripping and roaring, living in my sin, a drug addict junkie, I had a niece that would pray for me. She was 12 at the time. Now she's an adult off in college. But every night she'd say, Lord, just pray for him. That you would keep them safe. That you would bring them to know you, Jesus. That he would come to know you and live his life in you. Praise God that she never gave up when she didn't see results. Thank you, Lord, that she, that she never gave up because I didn't call her on her birthday. Thank you that she never looked for somebody else to pray. I've already prayed for him. Praise God that she didn't give up on me. So what does that look like for you? Husbands and wives, you have no idea the picture your marriage could be of Christ and his bride if you don't give up. Family members, you have no idea the answered prayers of salvation and healing and blessing if you don't give up. Parents, God only knows what your child is meant to be if you don't give up raising them the way that you know that they should. 
Church members, you have no idea the real impact that you're making here in this community because you're open, consistent, and serving. Please don't give up the mission. And if you're not serving here, I think you should. And let me tell you why I think you should. Because you might say, why do people come to church? They come to church for God? They come to church for Jesus? Possibly. But if that's the case, if there's good worship and preaching, why do people leave? Because they're really coming to see Jesus in you. They're really coming to see Jesus in you. They're really coming to see the Spirit of God in you. God's drawing them here so that you can be in relationship. Interpersonal relationships, that's the work of God. Don't be focused on the output. Rather, be focused on your input. God is responsible for, that, for the output. God is responsible for the outcome. All you're responsible is to be obedient, is to just say yes. Just put your work in. So, after 40 days, after Noah built this ark, got everything, then he loaded his family up, they loaded all the animals up, you know, it was, you know, smelly and loud and everything, and after he loaded everything up, God shut the door. And 40 days of rain, 40 days of coming up from the ground, 40 days of water, it was like the spring here that we just went through. That was way funnier than y'all were giving me. I'm, I'm sorry. So 40 days, 40 days of rain. And then God said enough and stopped it. And what came next? 150 days of floating. They were just sitting there floating until finally the boat came to rest on dry land. So Noah opened the window and set out a raven. The raven flew around and came back with nothing. And he goes, no more ravens. Ravens are stupid. So he opened up and said, seven days later, he sent out a dove. And this dove flew around, came back, nothing. Seven days later, he sent out another dove. That dove flew around, grabbed an olive branch, and came back. Then seven days later, he sent out another dove, and that dove said, peace out, and never came back. And so that's how he knew that the land was finally getting able to be lived on again. And he went out, all the beasts ran away, and he started building his new life. And God came to him in Genesis 9, 7. It says, as for you, be fruitful and increase in number. Multiply on the earth and increase upon it. He gave him a new job. He gave him a new job. Once your job is completed, your work is not over. Now it's time for the new job. I'm about to give you a Greek lesson right here. Are you ready? So in Matthew 9, 35, it says, and Jesus went all about the cities and villages, teaching their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he would move with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. That word send out right there in the Greek is the word ekbalo or ekbale. And what that means, it doesn't mean, oh, Charlotte, hey, we go to the store and get milk. I'm going to send you out to the store and get milk. No, what that means is, a, is a, like an archer releasing an arrow from a drawn bow to be sent out 
into the next assignment. That is what God is wanting you to do. He's wanting to follow you into your next assignment. Your parents, your kids might be gone. They might be gone to college. Well, it's opportunity for God to follow you into the next thing that he has for you. Kids, you might be going to college. You might be going to have a good time. Have a good time in moderation, but it also is an opportunity for you to be followed into the next assignment. Don't limp. Don't limp into the next assignment. Don't limp into the next assignment, but rather take it with energy. And if you say, I'm tired, I raised kids for 18 years. Look, I, I have my niece and nephew for an afternoon and I'm exhausted. I know that it's, that it's tiring, right? But if you don't think that you can have energy, then I just say, look at a football team after they win. They just had four quarters of, of beating each other down, and they, they can find that energy to jump up around and celebrate that they win. There is, there is rejuvenation in victory. There is rejuvenation in, in completion. God wants to follow you into what you have next. So when I was getting ready to come out here to Texas, I was serving at Teen Challenge. I, st- I signed a year contract that I would be there as an intern, and I had about four months from the end of that contract to when I was going to leave for Texas. And the Teen Challenge said, we love you, but if you're not going to be here for a year, we want to uh, open that opportunity for somebody else. So I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to do. So I fasted. I fasted for three days. And on lunch on the third day, I got a call from a different teen challenge saying, hey, I know you're going away to Texas, you know, at, in August, but we want you to come down and be, a, be on staff for four months. Can you do that? I said, absolutely. So I could have gone and said, you know, I just want to coast the summer. I just want to take the summer off before I'm going off to college. No, I said, I have four months to make an impact in people's lives down there. And so I, God followed me down there. And I took that and I said, I'm going to help these men see Jesus down there. God is trying to follow you. Don't limp, don't limp, don't limp. So as we're closing today, I want to, I want to close with just a few thoughts for you. God is specific. God is specific. He has a specific job, a specific opportunity for you. So when you're doing the work of God, you should be specific. Make clear goals for yourself. I talk to people all the time and I say, what do you want out of life? And they say, oh, I don't really know. I'm like, well, congratulations, you're achieving it, you know? God is specific, so be specific. Know what it is that you want. Next thing is God is organized. Nothing is a surprise to the Lord. He does marvel at our stupidity and lack of faith sometimes. I will say that, but it's not a surprise to him. God has a plan and pieces in place to see that his plan comes to fruition. You need to be organized. You need to be organized. And finally, God is intentional. He does what he says he's going to do. When God says something, he's going to follow through with it. The Lord has picked you and placed you where you're at because that's who he wanted there. The Lord has given you the children that he's given you because he said you're the best parents that there could be for him. The Lord has placed you and your spouse together because I want your, I think that y'all are the best too to see, my, uh, see, the, see the picture of Christ and his bride in your marriage. God is intentional, therefore you need to be intentional.
You know, I think about this sometimes. What do I want written on my gravestone? What do I want written on my gravestone? And frankly, I think the greatest thing that could be written on your gravestone is, here lies Emlyn Bailey. He was a man of his word. Lord, if we could just all be men and women of our Lord. Imagine, imagine the work of God that could be completed. So I want to pray for you today because there's grace in Jesus. There is grace in Jesus. There is grace for the places that you lack.